everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am your host for today, Taylor Rockwell. I am joined on the other end of the line by Henry Bushnell of Yahoo Sports. Henry uh, spent the summer, at least the past month of the summer, covering the U.S. men's national team in the Gold Cup. He was traveling with them. He was going to games. He was in the mix zones trying to get quotes while writing simultaneously because he's just that good. Uh, So Henry is with me today to help me make sense of the uh, Gold Cup final, the Gold Cup as a whole from the United States men's national team perspective, looking at some players that maybe shone brighter than we thought they would, some that maybe didn't end up shining quite as brightly as we had hoped, uh, but then also getting into some of Greg Berhalter's tactical decisions, some of his substitution decisions in the final specifically, uh, and then what Henry would like to see from the team going forward, both just like from a general perspective as well as with the upcoming Nations League games in mind, uh, some players who he wants to see called in, some maybe new looks he wants for the team. And I'm happy to hear what Henry would like because we really enjoy Henry. Uh, I gush a little bit about him or to him uh, on the show. But I should add, uh, Joe and I really enjoyed his coverage for Yahoo. Uh, He does a really good job of kind of combining all of the elements you want to hear about with the team without getting overly focused on maybe details you don't necessarily need to know. So uh, we enjoy Henry. Hopefully you will enjoy this conversation and uh, enjoy reading him in the future. With me now, I've got Henry Bushnell, features writer for Yahoo Sports. Henry, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for having me, Taylor. It's great to be back. And thank you for supporting the show, by the way. It sounds like you listened a couple times during the Women's World Cup and the Gold Cup and all that good stuff. I absolutely did. I, I'll i be honest, I did not listen to every single one of them. Oh, well, uh, then we're going to hang up and you're going to go listen to those. We'll be back on. We'll talk about those. That's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But I, uh, I certainly listened um, to a lot of the, especially the men's national team stuff as I was uh, following them. And um, yeah, it's great stuff. All all the previews, all the, all the, all the post-game stuff. Um, it's Often I will listen to post-game shows before I go and write my articles. So. Oh, that's good. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we can hopefully be of some use. Uh, and thank you for that. Thank you for the work you've been doing. I've been reading your stuff as well, which is why I wanted to talk to you today, because you've been covering the, uh, the U.S. men's national team throughout the Gold Cup. Uh, now that that competition is over, I wanted to talk to you a bit about sort of what happened uh, throughout the Gold Cup and then also what happens going forward. But first, I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, like force you into a corner by asking you a very reductive and overly simplistic question, uh, because that's how we roll over here. Um, if you're looking at the U.S. team right now, the U.S. men's national team, I should stress, um, like if you were going with a State of the Union style summary of the team, uh, usually it's, you know, the State of Our Union is strong. Make of that what you will. Uh, if you were going to go with the State of the U.S. men's national team right now, how would you uh, categorize it? I would say more encouraging <laughs> than a couple, than a, a year or two ago. Okay. Um, like a... I'd, I'd say like encouraging, but mm-hmm. with a lot of caveats and like just acknowledging that we're still in a very like nascent stage of what Greg Berhalter is trying to do here. And a lot of the growth, I think, will be player driven um, and player dependent. That's fair. Um, but I also think like like some of like reading your uh, comments or reading your articles, I made the mistake of reading the comments, um, specifically <laughs> the one about the Gold Cup final. Uh, obviously a mistake. Never read the comments. But I was never struck read by, Yahoo comments specifically. <laughs> the, true. Um, but I was struck by like how angry everyone is about this team. But then how like literally every negative response is very certain about what is definitely wrong with this team. Um, and yet they're all very different in their kind of summaries. And that makes me wonder. Like I'm not breaking any new ground here. I don't think. But I'm wondering where you come in on the idea. That, like, do you think this is the fan base on the men's side is the most polarized it's been in a while, or do you? think maybe after the failure to qualify is when we saw the most sort of frustration and vitriol that's a really interesting question because i think obviously a lot of the frustration now stems from the failure to qualify mm-hmm. um but i think maybe it is more polarized just because uh, there there was widespread fr- frustration after after kuva of course mm-hmm. um and the there are some people who are like after that and since then have not budged at all and are like burn everything down, you know, at like everything is, everything is terrible. Whereas other people have gradually come back to kind of the more like encouraged state and hopeful and cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe it is more, more polarized than it has been uh, in the recent past. So going like, 
in like in depth on some of the complaints though for a moment. Again, don't read the comments, but uh, one of the the one kind of consistent name in there that seems to frustrate people more than anything else is Michael Bradley. Again, not anything new, but like I wanted to start there because we hear a lot about how he's very slow, about how he's a defensive liability. Even people frustrated with some of his passing range. Uh, Daryl and I are are still uh, very much inclined to think that he's a key part of this team uh, now and going forward, and should be because of sort of all of the different things he's asked to do and how many times he does all of them well at the same time. So that's kind of our perspective. I'm wondering where you are on uh, Michael Bradley. Yeah, he's interesting because he has like one or two skills that nobody else in the national team pool has, I think, specifically just like his range of passing and the long balls. And like you saw him several times hit that cross field ball to the, to the overlapping mm-hmm. right back or just the high right back. Um, that's a ball that, I mean, other players can play it, but nobody can play it as consistently and, and, and as accurately as him. And just like the threat of that, that's, that's just that specific play where you receive, like receive the ball from the left or on a layoff, open your body up and just ping that cross field ball. Like that's important to, I think the, to the way the U S wants to play and the way they want to be able to hurt teams, uh, going forward. But to play Michael Bradley, you also need to offer him sufficient protection uh, because, as you guys and everybody else has talked about, you know he doesn't have the legs that he did five years ago, and he won't have more legs in two years than he does now. Um, so, like the and there there were times you could argue, maybe specifically in the final, um, that you know, that the U.S. system didn't protect him enough. Um, but that said, like there are a lot of there are ball winners and athletes in this player pool that you can put around him to still make him an effective uh, national team player. So, I, and there's just like there's nobody. I mean, I obviously I, I think Tyler Adams' skill set is more different than than Bradley's uh, than people realize. Um, and I understand that he could play in, in that role. Um, but I also think there's something to be said for trying to put. Adams and McKenney on the field with Bradley to kind of cover up some of Bradley's weaknesses, but still bring out his strengths, which are, as you said, I think are still key to this team. So with that in mind, then, do you think the only way that happens is for, for Tyler Adams to go back to the kind of hybrid right back central midfield role? Do you think there's a chance we see him played centrally and like Christian Pulisic puts out wide? If you're Greg Berhalter and you want to keep uh, Michael Bradley in there, how would you incorporate Tyler Adams into your starting eleven? That's the thing. I think it has to, and I know a lot of people don't want to see him in that right back role, but mm-hmm. I, I think you have to at least, like, what we we saw it for only we saw it for ninety minutes, right? Yep. Against in the friendly against Ecuador, like, I think so. I think we have to at least at some point. Maybe you don't go to it right in uh, August or September, whenever the next friend, the friendlies are. But I think you have to give it another try at some point to see if. Because I mean, the big the big question with him with that role is. Against different types of opponents, how often does he actually end up in midfield, and how often, how much do his midfield skills come out? Um, and so I think you have to try it and see if and, and see if it works. Like there's, we've got plenty of time to to kind of pilot that. Um, I, I think you have to go back to it at some point just to see because it is. I, I do think that's the way that you can get him on the field with uh, with McKenney and Bradley. I, I don't think you want to play. Bradley as a six and McKinney and Adams ahead of him. I'm not really sure that's that that would be the ideal balance. That that makes sense to me. But then I think like w- if we're gonna like I'm gonna force you into being Greg Burhalter basically for a little while here because okay. So say we we're in like we have like one of the kind of international breaks where we have two friendlies. Michael Bradley plays that number six role in the first game. If you're sort of sitting Bradley and bringing in another central midfielder. Like, okay, I'll put it this way. What would you like to see or what do you think Burhalter might do in this case of like, is that, do you think that's just going to be Will Trapp deputizing there for the foreseeable future and then Tyler Adams playing that right back role or elsewhere? Or do you think if maybe Bradley is sitting for that second theoretical friendly, do you think maybe we see Tyler Adams get some game time there? That's it. So yeah, like, so yeah, I think in the, in the September friendlies, mm-hmm. would I, if I were Greg Burhalter, yeah, I'd play Tyler Adams once as a... As a right back, once as a defensive midfielder, and the, as, when he plays as a right back, mm-hmm. put uh, put Bradley in there, um, and then take Bradley out and put it, put him put Tyler Adams in in that sixth spot uh, for the other one. I think that's probably what I do. And honestly, like we can use these these Nations League games as kind of experimental games as well. I think like I don't I don't think it, first of all I don't think winning the I mean it would be nice to win the Nations League, but uh, winning it isn't a huge deal, and also. 
the U.S. should not be have much trouble yeah. winning a group of Canada and Cuba. Um, I think those are the two. Uh, you are correct. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I, I think like th- throughout the fall, and especially as we as they integrate new players, um, that you know, n- new players that you got you and other people probably know more about than I do. Um, like the other options will begin to evolve and other combinations. Um, so so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I yeah, I want to see Adams try tried in both spots. What did you make going back to the Gold Cup final, uh, or like I guess the final moments of the post of the Gold Cup final? Uh, what did you make of the difference between the post match opinions of Burhalter and his players? Because uh, Burhalter indicated he thought the United States were too direct in the second half. Uh, Ariola and Long felt like the team wasn't direct enough. It didn't sound like they were necessarily like rebuking what Greg Burhalter was saying. It just sounded like more so there was a little bit of confusion about what the plan was. So what did you make of that sort of disparity? Yeah, it's really interesting trying to just like figure out both from what players in Burhalter said and just rewatching it and hearing other opinions. Like, it's interesting trying to figure out what exactly went wrong in, yeah. the, in that second half. Um, and I don't know that I have a, a perfect answer to it. Uh, but it, yeah, so it is interesting. Like, I, everybody agrees and realizes that they, they did play, they played more direct in the first half than they had all tournament, which makes sense. You're playing the best opponent that you had all tournament. And it, for the most part, it worked. But then towards the end of the first half, it started not working. And, like, Mexico started – Mexico center backs started beating Josie Altador in one-on-one duels when they did play direct. Um, and the ball – and when that happens, you know, when you, when, you, when you give up possession so quickly, the ball just keeps coming down your throat and comes back down your throat. And that's why I think Burhalter so the players felt that they could have continued playing direct because that's how they created their best chances in the first half. But I think Burhalter also sensed toward the end of the half that they were kind of losing that edge. Um, and they were starting to lose the individual duels. And so he wanted more control. He wanted them to try to keep possession. Um, but they just couldn't play out of the back. Um, so it, at, at some point, like, neither, neither strategy was working. Mm-hmm. The, the direct balls weren't working. The playing out of the back wasn't working. So they, so they, they just did. They, that's how they lost control of the game. Um, and I think it is... Like so, so there are there are reasonable, rational points on on both sides of like how they should have fixed it, but it also just like comes down to executing either strategy well. Um, and so I, I didn't, yeah, as you said, like I don't think the the two sides were rebuking each other. It's more so just like when the when the U.S. started to lose control of the game um, and when Mexico started to dominate them, the players like their minds immediately went to what had worked both in that game and in the past. Like they, they've had success o- over the years out there, Paul Areola, guys like that. They've had success against CONCACAF foes against Mexico playing direct uh, and, and hurting them more, more so on the break. Um, so it's kind of just like they reverted to thinking that that was the solution. Whereas Burhalter wanted, wanted that control. And I, I neither is necessarily a, a, would have been a correct way to, to go about fixing it. Uh, but it was interesting to just see the players um, ha- kind of, I, I think it's just like their natural tendencies um, that, that they would, they would, they would go back to playing, playing direct when things aren't going well. So you mentioned natural tendencies with that kind of inclination. My question then is, but when sort of they're thinking, oh, this was working, now we're kind of getting under more pressure, we're not able to play out of the back, let's just kick it long, whereas Burhalter seeing it as like, no, we want to kind of test ourselves, change it up and see if we can adapt to what Mexico's throwing at us. Do you think the players, not necessarily lack of willingness to do that because they obviously tried, but do you think the kind of hesitation there, the kind of reverting to their natural instincts is more of a sign of a lack of understanding of what Burhalter's asking a lack of maybe belief in how it works or just a lack of overall sort of, I guess, preparation for how to change the game plan mid-game? I do... I, I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. I'm more so... I really just think that it was the first time for a lot of those players being in an atmosphere like that. Like, there were... That, like, it was a really good atmosphere mm-hmm. at Soldier Field on Sunday night and a lot of Mexican fans. And when Mexico starts growing into the game and getting the better of the game, like, that stadium just gets loud and like their their tough tackles flying in and just like the pressure of that moment I think in that moment when you get uncomfortable um, when you get in a situation that you're unfamiliar with you kind of just want to revert to those familiar tendencies Um, so I I don't I I think it's almost just like a natural instinct thing that play that those players don't have enough experience 
overcoming and sticking to what the coach wants. Um, so I don't think, yeah, because it, as I said, like it's the first time. So I don't think it's like a long term worry or anything. Um, but it, it it is interesting and it will be something to watch like the next time they get in a pressure pack situation like that against the team that is as good or better than them. Much more still to come from my chat with Henry Bushnell of Yahoo Sports. But first, I wanted to let you know that today's sponsor is Policy Genius. Part of adulthood is having to do things that you don't really want to do, like red-eye flights, working late, visiting in-laws, and getting life insurance. I feel like I'm going to be doing most of those things in the next like week or so. Uh, but another part of adulthood is learning to delegate what you hate. And while you can't delegate a visit to the in-laws, no, you cannot, you can definitely delegate life insurance shopping. And that's where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Uh, once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape, which means no sales pressure, no hidden fees, just financial protection and peace of mind. The no Sales pressure and hidden fees is really nice because I'm currently recording this like around lunchtime on Thursday afternoon, and I'm debating where I want to order lunch from so that I have to like interact with people the least amount. I don't have to get upsold or asked about additional items. Um, so these are things that concern me because that's who I am. So Policy Genius won't do that to you. So if you need life insurance but you just don't want to deal with all the legwork, head to PolicyGenius.com. If you're like me and you hesitate to order from restaurants because it could be too emotionally taxing, then you should probably head to Policy Genius if you're looking for uh, life insurance. It's the easy way to compare top insurers and find the best value. Policy Genius, delegate what you hate, especially if you hate getting life insurance. Uh, so thank you to Policy Genius for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to my conversation with Henry. So um, I like the idea of Christian Pulisic's uh, best role on the team being whatever he makes it. I think that was, I can't remember if that was your point or if that was uh, a Berhalter point that you were summarizing. Um, but it sounds like within the sort of like U.S. adapting, playing on instinct, it sounds like maybe you're now sold on the idea of him playing centrally for the United States. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was very much uh, in the in the wide camp uh, for a while, um, as, as recently as like before going into this tournament. Um, but just to see how often from that central position they're able to get him on the ball in wide areas, which is the reason you play him wide, is to get him isolated against fullbacks. Um, and he was still, especially against lesser teams, um, he was able to do that plenty. Um, and there are like two or three like defined patterns of movement between him and Paul Areola, where, whether it's Areola checking to the ball and Pulisic kind of running towards the corner flag, or if it's just them... Inner, like just like drifting and, and switching places while the ball is at the back. Uh, I think the U.S. like U.S. was able to get him on uh, in those in those positions with the ball enough that playing him central works because it brings out his winger qualities and, and it also brings out um, what he can bring as a central playmaker that nobody else in the player pool can bring. And I think that's the key point. Like if a number ten emerged that was close to Pulisic's level. Then yes, you go you you put him wide and you put the you know the the if if you want to say more natural you know central playmaker um, in there. But right now Pulisic is easily the best central playmaker on the team. Um, so I think it's worth having him there as long as his winger qualities can also affect the game. But it seems like for like the rest of the team, the players have like individual responsibilities of where they need to be and when. Paul Ariola talked about how it's basically like he. I think he told Christian Pulisic like you do what you do and I'll kind of adjust to what you're doing. So if you go wide, I'll go central. If you stay central, I'll go wide. I'm wondering like from what you've observed, how much responsibility do you think Christian Pulisic, Pulisic has to the system versus how much of it is sort of like you kind of do what you want to do. We'll build around you. That's interesting. I think it's it's definitely some of both. Um, yeah, that, that, that Ariola quote was, was interesting. He, he gave it to me after the Trinidad game, I think. Um, and I, I, I'm honestly not completely sure how like hundred percent accurate it is. Like, I'm sure there are some times where it's kind of defined, uh, when he'll, when Pulisic will make certain runs, um, and, and kind of pre-scripted. Um, cause there's, uh, Weston McKenney said something interesting after the semifinal. It's like the whole point of what they're trying to do is like have enough unpredictable movements within the, like have movements within their offensive system that are unpredictable to opponents, but predictable mm -hmm. to themselves. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's, that's a big question going forward. Just like how, how, how comfortable can they get, how predictable can those movements get to themselves without being unpredictable to opponents? Um, and I think that's really like goes to what, what Pulisic's role is uh, because he has to like, 
there, there has to be some structure there, right? And I think it'll change based on the opponent. Like against Mexico, for example, especially when, when you're, especially when you're playing without the ball more, there has to be more definition in, in Pulisic's role, and he has to have more responsibility to the shape and structure of the team. Whereas against a team like Guyana, I think you just tell him to do whatever he wants and trust that the way he drives the offense and the way he makes the opponent react and the way he makes his teammates react will that's like one of the best ways to, to break down to break down a lesser opponent. So I think it I think the to answer your question in a roundabout way, I think it'll it really will depend on the opponent. On the topic of the opponent, specifically stronger opponents and his kind of role in the defensive like shape and structure, we were really confused uh, with the moment when Roldan subs on uh, in the Gold Cup final because he clearly runs on to our eyes, he does the like four five one. Like he makes it clear five man midfield. Yep. Two minutes later, they're back in the four four two. That's when Zardes subs in. Daryl, I'm not trying to throw Daryl under the bus, but it was his idea. So Daryl speculated that he felt like this might have been because Pulisic just sort of maybe was supposed to stay a bit more central, a bit more like in midfield and pushed forward, um, and then essentially kind of like broke the five man midfield. So they went back to a four four two. I wasn't quite as convinced by that argument until I saw that line from Burhalter about how uh, Christian is a player who plays on intuition a lot and a lot of his game is rooted in intuition and I'm wondering like do you think he well first of all I'm wondering like what you made of that kind of two minute chunk and what may have happened there but the second one being like do you think he has that like positional discipline to play defense in a Burhalter system versus maybe just having that more kind of free-floating role and uh, providing the pressure that maybe he uh, enjoys a bit more yeah to answer your question i have no idea what okay. happened in that two minute stretch <laughs> uh, yeah i'm right with you guys um i was and it's something that like i didn't really you know watching the game live you don't you, you mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's tough to recognize as much stuff on tv so i don't even yeah. i didn't even recognize that in, in real time Nor, i mean we my, just saw him like oh five man midfield and then suddenly it was like oh it's a four four two again that's weird right because it's interesting because the the five man midfield like would have made sense or at least like yeah. a more normal four four two with christian Roldan not playing as high as Jordan Morris had been um, it, it, without the ball. Uh, so I didn't really – but, like, to answer your question, like, I think – and we can get to, like, finer points of the defensive shape, I, I'm assuming. But, like, one of the adjustments in a game against a team like Mexico when your legs are tired and they're having a lot of the ball and maybe you want to just, like, slow the game down and short midfield a, a, a bit has to be one of those front two – kind of dropping on or maybe dropping on a defensive midfielder or at least like being a bit more conservative and making sure they cut off passing lanes to those midfielders. So it's not so easy for a team like Mexico to play through the U S and neither Altidore nor Pulisic. And then Zardes like really did that. And yeah, Pulisic is probably the person you'd want uh, to do it. And he does have to, I mean, he, he, he has said openly that like he, he doesn't enjoy the defensive side of the game very much, but obviously he he, he is he, he does it and he's committed to the team. Uh, but he's he's going to have to improve there against better teams, as you said, if he's going to play this uh, this, this central role uh, against a team like Mexico or against you know even better teams that we might play in friendlies of the World Cup. All right. Well, since Pulisic doesn't want to uh, play defense, let's 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 focus on defense ourselves then, so he doesn't have to. Um, okay. Because there was like like we I don't think we disagree necessarily about like the defensive shape the United States were trying to do. I think it was more about like the effectiveness of it, or specifically why it didn't seem to be working, especially in the second half. I think our contention was that they were trying to be in a four four two, but that it didn't really work. That they kept kind of spreading out, and so there were passing options through Pulisic and Josie Altsider when they were deployed for the forward. Same thing when Zardes comes in. There's still lots of spacing. Uh, so we were kind of critical of the 4-4-2. Uh, you weren't necessarily not critical of it. I think your argument was just sort of that they weren't necessarily playing a 4-4-2. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so basically, like, one of the so one of the things that they did all game was, and I think it was the, I mean, so they've had their wingers press press higher in certain games. Uh, but the, the the interesting wrinkle in this game specifically was that so it was a yeah it was the four four two but then when Edson Alvarez Mexico's defensive midfielder would drop back in between the center backs, Altidore so Altidore was the right of the front two he was on Hector Moreno Mexico's left side of center back when Edson Alvarez would drop in they would the US would kind of rotate more into almost like a, something similar to their attacking shape so Altidore would come like shift to the left and go go on Alvarez Jordan Morris would step up on Hector Moreno the left center back. 
Um, and Reggie Cannon would come bombing all the way up to the, the wing to the left back. And then Miazga would take the left winger. It's kind of this weird rotation. Um, and they did it all game, like even when Christian Roldan came on. So it wasn't like, I mean, it was, I guess it was a base 4-4-2. But depending on what shape Mexico in Mexico was in, they adjusted. Um, so, like my thing was, like I, I think, like my thing was that just saying the four four two is mm-hmm. the problem is like a bit yeah. oversimplistic and, and reductive. Um, what what the issue was, like I would have. So I think we, everybody agrees that they kind of got overrun in midfield in the second half. Um, whether that was Mexico throwing extra numbers in there. Or just like leaving Bradley and McKinney two v two versus Gordado and, and Dos Santos, um, and like they started losing individual battles, which is going to happen against a team like Mexico. Um, so the, like there are, there are various ways to combat that. Um, one of which would have been to have Rodon kind of just like play as a stay at home right midfielder when so when the ball is on the weak side, you you tuck inside, and same for Ariola on the other side. Um, that's just a way to get an extra number in midfield, kind of just like those rotations across that midfield line of four. Or, as I said earlier, like, telling Pulisic, like, make sure that when, if you're going to press the center backs, you have to cut off a, a, a passing angle to right. somebody. Like, the, the, those, the, the, the angles of the, front, of the front two's defensive runs, like, had to be a lot better. So something like that had to happen. So that, that, I'm just saying, I don't think the 4-4-2 four, four, inherently right. was... The problem is just that they... They kind of kept doing it. And, I mean, I don't think that – I thought it was really weird to have Roldan continuing to play so high. And I think you guys might have mentioned this. Like that, that – that, that's the system that they were running where it, Roldan was continually rushing out to Hector Moreno and where Reggie Cannon was consistently going all the way up the right. Like eventually that's going to tire players down mm-hmm. and just these back-and-forth runs. And when you're doing that for most of this – when you don't have much of the ball in the second half, I really just didn't – didn't understand why they continued to do that and why when Mexico kind of got hold of the game, they didn't, they didn't just like more sit back and try to challenge Mexico to beat them. They continued to press them. And I think that was part of the problem, why they look so thin in midfield. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything you said. And I would add that like, yeah, if, if they had just kind of sat back in a deep lying four four two, looked to maybe counter through Christian Pulisic, I think that would have been fine. What I was frustrated about and kind of continue to be concerned about is that Everything you've mentioned is is correct, and I also don't know if there's like an effective solution because I'm sure you yeah. could argue that well, you know, like more repeti- repetition, more rotation, guys will get this. Like you know, Pulisic will learn to cut off that option, or Josie blocks off that option. Now they're confined to one side of the field, and then we step. But the reason why I felt sort of like not it, this doesn't really matter, but like the reason why I sort of felt comfortable saying they were defending in a 4-4-2 is because that one like wide player stepping seemed so late like you're right like it would be like roll down would go forward and then Reggie Can would have to go and then the center back slides over and it always felt very reactive it was like if they go to this guy then we'll all step but if they go to this guy well then we'll all step and I don't know right. how that ever gets faster um, and so it just feels like it's always sort of being very reactionary and then yeah I worry that then your guys get tired you leave people exposed in the midfield Michael Bradley can't cover that distance and those are the kind of areas where I felt like there wasn't like there weren't as many answers it wasn't as like clear cut of a here's the problem we'll solve it and we'll move forward sort of situation right yeah no that's completely fair and I mean yeah it was interesting like because I didn't. I I, I I thought the like I didn't. I didn't think there was a problem with the the four four two in general. But then I saw like I know you guys were concerned by it, and a lot of other people like whose opinion I respect. Like I know Matt Doyle has written that he's very concerned by it. Um, so I was like I was kind of like checking myself. But I think my <laughs> my point my my point is that like it's the it's the adjustments within the four four two that that were the problem and like the the specific way that they d- defended mexico like yes it it, it definitely was a base four four two um but it's never like you're never just gonna sit in a four four if you're the u s you're probably not just gonna sit in a four four two low block especially against some of these concacaf teams so it's how they go about their their pressing um and the timing of everything um and the and the different so like i mean yeah like they were it, it was like how much is it man to man? How much is it zone? How much is say like Bradley leaving a deep midfielder to go over and you know cut up, to slide over and like cut off a passing lane into the striker's feet? And there there are various rotations within it that like I, I don't think the the four four two in and of itself is the is is a problem, and I, I don't think they need to come out in September with like a completely new mm-hmm. uh, new defensive shape. 
I do think they need to work on that defensive shape, though. Yeah, because no, I've been, that's yeah. yeah because I, but I've been thinking a lot about what Borhalter said about stepping on Christian Roldan because, again, we were very confused as to like him almost being a right winger at times. That felt like a role that Tyler Boyd could have done pretty well. Um, then we were even more confused when he talked about how basically he made the decision to bring on Christian Roldan uh, because he needed numbers more centrally, even though basic, uh, like Roldan was on the right wing pretty much the entire time from what I saw. And it made me wonder, this is like a little bit abstract, I think, but like, is this an example, do you think, of like Burhalter's system causing his game management headaches? Because I just wonder if like the wide players are supposed to step into the, that attack to help with the press, but he brings Roldan in to be another midfielder, but now he has to be almost like a central midfielder who's on the right side but also gets forward. And I just yeah. wonder if like this is where we see sort of maybe the kinks not quite necessarily being ironed out of what Burhalter wants to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he put it well. And, like, yeah, I think he got a bit too cute with his substitutions. And he decided to – I mean, like, my understanding was that one of the reasons he – so I think really the only reason you would bring Christian Roldan into a game like that is to just play as a defensive right-sided midfielder Mm -hmm. um, who's just going to run around a lot and break a play. It seemed like he almost wanted – him in there as like a as like an extra guy who could like control the ball and like like for possession reasons um which i was like yes he can do better than jordan morris but also like i would not if you're if you're if christian roldan is the guy who's going to you're going to try to bring on to help get more possession against mexico like i don't feel comfortable with christian roldan on the ball against mexico like i don't think he's at, at at that level i don't think that's the the player you want um, so part of it speaks to a, a lack of options. Like I understand why he would have wanted a player like that instead of a player like Tyler Boyd. Uh, but I mean, Tyler Boyd's a better player than Christian Roldan. I think we all agree with that. And like same with like bringing Daniel Levitz on at the end. Like I get it. I understood the reasoning, but also like why not just like sometimes at the end of games you just gotta throw on like your best attacking player and hope that. In a in a disor- disorganized kind of scrambled last few minutes, you you just want the more talented, more threatening attacking player on there. So yeah, I do think he and I mean same with I, I guess like I guess Altador was looking tired, um, but you don't take Josie Altador out in the 64th minute of a tie game against Mexico. I yeah I I really had I I did have problems with the with the subs. Hey, everybody. Taylor jumping in one more time with a PSA of sorts. Uh, We've just had the July 4th holiday, or about a week ago, and it's a good reminder about belts. And that's why I want to talk about today's sponsor, Grip6 Belts, because... Fourth of July parties, you've got the barbecues, you've got the cookouts. It seems to be the kind of national holiday in which uh, dads the world over, the nation over at least, uh, tuck the shirt into the khaki shorts, exposing usually the belt from like 15 years ago. Uh, there was one that was doing the rounds of the, uh, I forget what politician it was, but he had the braided belt. You never want that look. Braided belt's not the way to go. Instead, you should go the route of the Grip 6 belt. It's the only belt with no holes, no belt flap hanging out, uh, but if you're using it, it's a just so once it locks in place, it will hold all day. But say you're at a barbecue, you overeat, maybe you just loosen it a little bit. You don't have to go to the next hole. You don't have to feel the shame of like having to like drop down one hole notch. Instead, it's just a little adjustment and you're fine. And then it locks in place all day using their patent pending technology. Grip6 belts are consistently rated four and a half out of five stars by customers on Amazon. They've got over 900 reviews, uh, 600 Facebook reviews as well. So uh, lots of people enjoying Grip6 belts. And they should be because the buckle is aircraft grade Aluminum, uh, bright dip anodized. The strap is durable nylon webbing with breaking strength of 2,700 pounds. That's a lot of weight. And I should add, uh, even though I began this by talking to uh, the dads of the nation, Grip6 belts are made for men and women. They have men's sizes, women's sizes, sizes for kids. Everyone is welcome over at Grip6 belts. Uh, And they're welcome to use uh, the TSS discount code to get some uh, percentages off. If you use TSS at Grip6.com slash TSS. That's G-R-I-P, the number six, dot com slash TSS. You can get 33% off the classic pack, 20% off a standard belt. So 20% off one belt, 33% off for the classic pack. Uh, so check them out. Don't wear the braided belts. Don't embarrass your whole family by wearing a belt that you bought, like in the 70s when it was the style to wear. Although maybe it's come back around then. I feel like the 80s have come back around as well. So don't wear one from the 60s. Then I think you're definitely out of style. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but thank you very much to Grip6 for sponsoring today's show and for providing modern belts for the modern consumer. 
Let, let's stick with Althador for a moment uh, because Daryl and I operated under the assumptions this tournament, like two assumptions. One was that Jyothi Althador was Greg Berhalter's like, number one striker by a distance. Number two, that he wasn't playing basically due to injury, maybe a lack of overall fitness. Instead, it seems like there's a chance that he was good to go the whole time. Uh, even Althador seemed confused by his lack of minutes, right? He said like after the match that like I don't, I don't know why I wasn't played more. Yeah. Um, what do you make of that situation? Because that seems... Slightly more worrying than a lot of the other stuff we've talked about if if there's a little bit of disconnect between the player and the coach as to why the player wasn't playing. Yeah, I uh, I honestly am not completely sure what to make of it. Yeah, I mean, I, like, it was, you know, it, so Josie, I think I, I might have write, written this, but, like, he, did, he didn't talk to uh, mm-hmm. uh, print online, you know, written media for the entire tournament until after the final, which, by the way, I have, I have no problem with. Like, players can do whatever they want, but... Yeah, so he, he came over and talked to us for the first time, uh, which, and like Josie's very media savvy, um, and I'm sure if he, if he decided to talk, like he knew he was going to kind of just get asked about his fitness and, and stuff like that. Um, he said he was fine. Like I asked him straight up, like what went into the way, like your, your playing time and what went into the way your minutes were. Cause I think we all assume that it was like, in, that it was like, it, it was, it was load management or minutes management mm-hmm. and that they were kind of building him up to, Play as play a key role in the semifinal and final, which I guess kind of ended up being what it was. Like he obviously started the semifinal and the final. Um, but Josie, I mean Josie, before I even finished the question, was just like I don't know, um, which is was yeah again like slightly uh, concerning, but also like understand that he, it would be understandable that he would be frustrated um, given that he just didn't get that much playing time, and when he did start in the two key games, he got what fifty something minutes and. A, a little over 16 minutes in the final. So I think like the big fault is if it, I, I would assume that it was kind of managing his minutes and not wanting him to play five or six games over a three week period or whatever, um, given the injury troubles he's had in the past, but to not, to not build him up to the point um, of, of match fitness where he can go longer than 60 minutes without looking leggy. Like, I think that was a fault of Burhalter and yep. the fact that he, like, I, un- I understood taking him out in the semifinal um, and kind of just like resting him up for the final. But maybe rather than taking him off after 50, like, you almost just use that as like a, almost just like a, a training, like match fitness um, a- exercise for him, play him 70 minutes in that semifinal yep. so that you know he's, I mean, it's, it, it it was a somewhat short turnaround, but I mean, three days of rest should have been plenty for him to then be ready to go uh, for Sunday in the final. Um, so I think Berhalter's big failure was not getting him to a point where he could have played. Like the whole system was designed to get him to a point where he could play as much as possible in the final, and Berhalter didn't do that. So I think in the end, like he didn't get it right. But I would, I would assume that Altador is the number one striker going forward. I don't think that. He was playing Jossie ahead of him solely because he thinks Jossie's better. Uh, since this is an audio podcast, uh, I will inform the listeners that I was nodding that whole time just so okay. I know. Um, I have a Henry Bushnell question at this point, though. Did you say yeah. that, like, like, so did you get about, like, two-thirds of the way through the question about why he didn't play more before he said, I don't know? Uh, no, it was basically at the end of it. Okay. Um, yeah, he was, but, but he said it, like, very quickly and, like, clear he didn't want to say anything else um and then i think it was jeff carlisle asked him a follow-up whether okay. about whether he was like whether he felt good and healthy and he said yeah like feel good feel fine okay the, the, i always struggle with those moments where like the player clearly didn't enjoy the question you asked or didn't really want to talk about it and how you're like so you hated that question let's talk about something else <laughs> like i always wonder how you redirect instead i guess the answer is just have jeff carlisle standing next to you yeah, there you right. go. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't like a, I don't think he was. Uh, I don't think he was annoyed by the question. Like mm-hmm. I think he, uh, I think he, he probably knew how he was gonna respond to it. And he was, he he, he was good. Like he wasn't. A, a lot of players were pretty, you know, understandably, you know, mm-hmm. down after the the final, like with pretty glum looks on their faces. Um, and they all they all handle it in different ways. You know, some players are pretty brief um other players like we talked to reggie cannon after the game for example and he was like very spoke very like passionately about how much work they had put in and just like kind of like the the emotion from the game turning into like him being able to articulate the emotions of the past 
uh, the past month. Like, this is a guy who was, didn't even think he was going to be on the roster, and all of a sudden he's starting a final. Um, and then jo- Josie, like, obviously he's been in situations like this before. He was very, like, analytical, um, you know, you know, talking about the game um, I- intelligently and, like, what went wrong, what they could have done better, um, and, and, you know, various aspects of it. So that, that was interesting to see. Uh, we, we talked to Tyler Boyd very briefly a little while ago. I wanted to go back to him for a moment because we were sort of excited to see him maybe get thrown in there just to try stuff. That seemed like what kind of uh, he's all about. Uh, have you he- heard any updates about maybe what has happened to Tyler Boyd? Uh, I think there were rumblings that maybe he was carrying a hamstring injury. I think Matt Doyle may have uh, tweeted about that or talked about that. But uh, I don't think I've seen anything official, so I'm wondering if you've heard anything about Mr. Boyd. Yeah, I was told there was not an injury. Um, okay. But that said... Uh, I'm, I'm not like reporting that as fact that there was an injury because, you know, I know he's, I mean, he's working on his club situation right now. So uh, if that's the case, people would probably want to say that uh, he, he has no injury. There are no worries or anything. Um, but I do think, wasn't it, I, I went back and watched the Fox broadcast and I'm pretty sure that they said he was a possibility coming off the bench in the second half. I so, so I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was available. Um, and, Again, like, I guess it makes sense. Like, you wanted guys for specific roles. I guess it makes sense why he didn't play. And, and I, by the way, I completely understand why he didn't start. Like, I do think Jordan Mars was a better fit for that game, um, even if he's not necessarily a better player in a vacuum. Uh, but, no, yeah, I would have loved to see Tyler Boyd off the bench. And I, I, I think that's a if, – if he was indeed healthy and available, like, I think that's a, a mistake that Berhalter made. All right. So then moving on to like the upcoming friendlies, the Nations League uh, games that we've got uh, like late summer this fall. Um, what would you like to see from that team? Let's start with this. Were there any players you think that were included on this Gold Cup squad that maybe we won't see included on the next one? Or is there anybody who you think like decidedly played themselves out of contention? Or do you think pretty much the whole squad is, is still safe for potential selection next time around? Um, I think they're all in play, but I think we'd all agree that there are a lot of players that like come come the hex, which is what starts earlier than we than we thought it was mm-hmm. going to start. Um, that just like don't probably won't play a factor, or you know, if everything goes right and if players develop properly, um, hopefully we won't need to be a factor. Like, I mean, there are some players like Georgi Mihalovic is young and is still growing but at the moment he's just like not national team caliber I wouldn't say um and there are several players like that like even like Will Trapp like great guy perfect like good locker room guy above average MLS player you know very very serviceable very solid um but if Will Trapp's playing in a World Cup qualifier like I think that's a problem um and there are like even I think Maybe even Christian. I mean, maybe maybe saying Christian Roldan fits into that is a bit uh, a bit harsh on him. Omar Gonzalez like should not play a part in in World Cup qualifiers. I think like there there are several guys. Like this yeah. was a pretty a pretty thin group. You know, really after the the starting group, there weren't many options off the bench, which again is, was one of the problems. Um, like like Jonathan Lewis, I don't think is mm-hmm. really national team caliber quite yet. So there's there's a group of like six, like Daniel Lovitz, like they're a group of six or seven guys like that who are many of them MLS players who are perfectly fine MLS players, but probably we we just like don't need to see much more of yet uh, with the national team, and it would be better to give whether it's younger players or um, or you know European guys that Berhalter hasn't seen as much of as as MLS guys. Um, I, I think ho- hopefully we'll see a not a completely different roster, but a somewhat different roster uh, in the fall. I'm glad you make the point about depth because that's one that like I've been trying to figure out why there was a, a, a large narrative that this is almost Mexico's B team or they're missing a lot of their kind of yeah, star players. And if they had them, it, yeah, I didn't really think it necessarily was their like like weakest team we've ever seen them play in a Gold Cup. Certainly when they're playing Copa America, they play weaker teams uh, in the past, but. I also felt like we heard like, oh, this is their their B team, and they're playing against the USA's A team, and they can't still can't even win. And I I had an issue with that, and I couldn't quite tell why, aside from that, there were players like Tyler Adams, like John Brooks, missing. And I think it's the depth thing that really like like maybe that starting eleven is you swap out a few people, and it is a pretty strong team or is close to an A team. But then you look at kind of the players coming off the bench, and I think not having say DeAndre Yedlin or Dwayne Holmes or some of the other players that maybe will see even Josh Sargent will see once they kind of get a little bit more fitness or they get a little bit more form that we see in there and I think that makes the team 
a much stronger selection. So yeah, I, I take your point about the kind of lack of depth and how hopefully that's something we see change with the uh, the Nations League games. So thanks for that. Right. Well done, Henry. Right. Yeah, and it was like Mexico. I mean, I'd say it was a it was a minus B plus mm-hmm. team, and the U.S. was an A minus team. Um, like, but the thing with Mexico, as you said, is like Mexico loses her, Chucky Lozano and Carlos Vela, their two starting wingers. And they've got Rodolfo Pizarro to mm-hmm. just stick in there, who's yeah. e- excellent. Yeah. Um, and the U.S. loses Tyler Adams, and it's like, who, like, who, who is there? You play, mm-hmm. you know, Nick Lima's your. I mean, Nick Lima's fine; he's serviceable, but he's a right back, and it completely changes how you play. Um, or you, lo- or you lose something in midfield, depending on where Adams is playing. So it's just, yeah, the the drop off from like the U.S. had roughly. 13, 14 players you could count on in a final. Mexico has like 20 players. Yeah. So then I think you did this in one of your articles, but I'm going to make you do it on the show now. So if we're looking at like your ideal Burhalter-influenced starting 11 right now, I'm assuming you've got Zach Steffen in goal. Does mm-hmm. that mean you've got Tyler Adams at the kind of hybrid right back? Yeah, so I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Like, I think it's 50. I almost I was almost going to put two different lineups in my article. Like, one is if Adams is playing right back. One is if he's playing defensive midfield. Um, but, yeah, I decided because I think it allows you to get other players. Um, uh, the, because of the way it allowed me to get other players in the field, I put Adams there right back, yeah. Okay. And then center backs, is it Long and, and Brooks if Brooks, if and when, if Brooks is ever healthy? Is it Long right. and Brooks right now for you? Yeah, I think like Long might even be the most assured starter at this point. Yeah. And then like yeah, I think Brooks is still the most talented center back in the US player pool. Um but yeah, so it's those two and I guess if one of them is injured it's probably Miazga slightly over Zimmerman just cuz it's a ba- based on the fact that he played uh, the last two games, but I think those two are pretty neck and neck. And then I'm guessing that would make it if we stick with the Adams moving centrally uh as right back then the left back is going to be Tim Ream for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my concern in our review show was like what happens then if teams adjust to what the United States uh, was doing by like when they sent Reggie Cannon like really far forward. The idea there was it brings Pizarro back. They switch Pizarro to the other side where Tim Ream is never going to get as far forward. And now they can kind of have a little bit more free reign. If the United States wants to switch it up, how do you think they could go about sort of getting a more attacking left back on but not having to change their overall game plan? Is it just the case of like put on a more attacking left back but then put on a more standard right back to stay home yeah so i mean that's one and i think that's one was one of my takeaways just from the tournament as a whole is that yes i think like this specific way that they're playing with a right back high and the left back staying at home i think that's just an adaptation based on the personnel and if the u.s's best left back or best option at left back was a more traditional up and down left back like say anthony robinson at this time next year has developed into a like one of the best left backs in the championship or something, then maybe he's that guy there. And then you can put like, then, then what we would probably see if we still have a, a right back who's bombing up and down the right wing as well, then what we'll see, what, what you saw in the Panama game was I think in, in possession, the central midfielder, uh, the defensive midfielder would drop back in between the center backs mm-hmm. in possession. Um, so it's just about getting to that, you know, three, two, four, one or three, two, two, three, whatever you want to call it, that attacking shape. And there are different ways that Berhalter can get to it and that the team can get to it based on what personnel they have. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. Like, how much do they change when Tim Ream is no longer the left back? Because he's a pretty, you know, he's a somewhat unique skill set skill set for a left back just because he's more so a center back. Uh, but I don't think they'll have it. I don't think it'll be a huge adjustment. I mean, it, it'll change the way they play, but it won't be like an unworkable adjustment uh, when they have to throw somebody else in there. All right. And then like with your ideal 11 again, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do most of it except for one spot because I'm guessing you've got Ariola left, Bradley as the number six, McKinney and Pulisic as your other midfielders with Josie Alcador ahead. Does that all yep. check out? Yeah. So then right side, that right wing, who do you want to see there going forward uh, in an ideal world? So in a... So there is no ideal world. That's the thing. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't Good think there's. Good point. I don't, I don't think there's an ideal person for this position right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we're playing Adams at right back and he's inverting, that means the winger is just staying very wide. Like they're not coming in field and, and checking to the ball and stuff. So I'd put DeAndre Yedlin there. Like I'm still a, I'm, I like Yedlin more than most. I think. I think he's still a, a very good player. And even if he's not a winger, um, like his elite skills, which are just his pace and direct running. 
they work in that role if it's if if the right winger's role is just to stay on the touchline and offer you know high wit there. Um, so I, I'd play him there, but also but then like if we're putting Adams in midfield and playing a more up and down uh, right back like a like a Reggie Cannon or somebody, or if we're playing Yedlin at right back, for example, then I honestly don't have a like I guess it would be Tyler Boyd if he's healthy, mm-hmm. but that. I mean that that I, I don't feel strongly about that. Like I think him and Jordan Morris are I guess somewhat level. Um and Tim Wea would probably be in that picture as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. All right. Well that that's that's one we'll keep an eye on. I'm sure you'll keep an eye on as well. But uh you you are uh transitioning away from soccer for the time being, is that correct? We've we've got you before you go full basketball? Yeah, basketball, American football, um, you know, back to the but I, but I'm definitely not going away from soccer for good and okay. the next time the Next time the national team is relevant, I will be back to soccer. I think, um, but yes, I'm going to going back to the, the the feature writing, the you know jumping around to various different sports. I, I look forward to the men's national team being relevant again. That should be exciting. <laughs> um, uh, I, you, you feel free to take the easy answer and just say like they're all your babies and you love them all equally. Is there one sport you enjoy writing about more than others? I mean, I, I still enjoy soccer more than more than the rest. I think mm-hmm. um, partly because I think I understand it. I under, I, I, yeah, probably because I understand it more than most. Partly just because of like the diversity of it all. There's just so many, so so many different like cultures and avenues within soccer um, that I find really interesting in the way the whole world is kind of interconnected in various ways. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I do enjoy, I, but I enjoy writing about basketball as well. And then, you know, a lot of my job now, it's kind of, it doesn't matter what the sport is. You know, you're just telling human stories and, you know, in- interesting trend stories and stuff, not not so much writing about games. Um, so for that, from that perspective, I don't really care what the sport is. But if I'm if I'm covering a covering a beat, uh, soccer is definitely still my uh, preference. All right. Well, I can't speak to your basketball or fo- uh, American football <laughs> abilities. We did play against Henry in a pickup game in Chicago. Henry's real, real good. So there you go. Uh, you can <laughs> you can take that at least when you're reading Henry's articles. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and yeah, just a small shout out. Like obviously, like I won't be co- covering soccer, mm-hmm. but like at Yahoo Sports, we've got plenty of like. Obviously, one of the reasons I was covering soccer this summer was because uh, we had other resources dedicated to the to the Women's World Cup, and there was just a lot going on. Um, so we'll, we'll still have plenty of soccer coverage, even if I won't be uh, I won't be providing it. Lovely. Well, uh, when you are providing it again, we look forward to having you back on the show. But for now, Henry, thank you very much for being so generous with your time and for helping me make sense of my feelings about the U.S. Men's <laughs> National Team. I very much appreciate it. I appreciate you guys, and uh, yeah, keep doing great stuff. As I said, the uh, everything throughout the past month was really remarkable in all the work you guys put in. Uh, and since he's not here, I'm assuming all of that praise goes to me, and none of it goes to him. <laughs> yeah, of course. Perfect. Perfect.